0: you know that in each culture is different now that we have one of our members that is from
1: london it's it's different they make jokes and sometimes for us it's difficult to understand
2: those jokes Mm -hmm. you know because for them are really funny and for us they may sound a bit rude so i i would like to know like how do you
1: how does this work on on culture and language and countries and right so this is taught in hostage negotiation around the world so these skills work no matter what culture you're in no matter what language you're speaking i will will add a caveat to that because sometimes when you're in a different language the wording might not translate exactly the same so you have to work a little bit to make sure that you're conveying the same message that we're saying in english Um, I know I I worked with a Canadian one time who was French speaking and he had a hard time with some of this stuff because of the way the labels sounded when you said them in French. So we had to kind of come up with a little workaround for him and he was able to do it just fine, but hostage negotiators all over the world use this stuff with great success. They use it on anybody. And the reason why it works that way is because we're dealing with human behavior and emotions so it's the human nature response that we're speaking to when we use these these skills so if you are coming across the right way if you are coming across with the proper tone of voice and um, you're using the skills as we describe them to you you shouldn't have an issue with it now there are some things um and when we get to accusation audit you'll see what I'm saying but you, you do a list of accusations audits at, at the beginning of a conversation
2: yeah I mean to Sandy's point of um being able to kind of stop inappropriate jokes right whether that's gender bias because I saw that in the chat they said too um whether they're gender biased jokes um inappropriate cultural jokes right that and that people think are okay right Um, that's kind of why this label is great. You can use it for several different things, right? If someone's making a joke and an appropriate joke about your culture, you can say, it seems like you think it's okay to joke in that way, right? Or, um, it seems like you thought that that was an appropriate joke to use with me, right? And it it gets them to stop and then they have to report for their behavior, essentially. One that works a lot too is my favorite
1: go-to label seems like you have a reason for So you can go with, seems like you have a reason for thinking that, seems like you have a reason for saying that, seems like you have a reason for feeling that way. Or if someone asks you a question that you're not really sure you want to answer, because people do ask the lousy questions, um, and you wanna make sure you know where this is going before you give an answer, you can say, it seems like you have a reason for asking that. Then they'll explain to you why they're asking, and then you'll know exactly where to go, and it'll save you time in the long run. But that seems like you have a reason for label, also works with the inappropriate behavior especially when you're just kind of creating the thought pattern interrupt because if you say to someone if they've said something off color or inappropriate to you or tried to take the conversation in a direction you don't want it to go and you say seems like you have a reason for saying that and you just go silent and then let them think about what they just said and i've had this happen before where they realize it and then they say oh I'm so sorry. And then they realize how they've kind of stepped over a line and they will back off of it. And it's better for them to get the hint from you and back off of it so that you don't have to go to that very assertive, pushy label. You know, like when you completely address the behavior, it, it, it seems like you think it's okay to call me that or to refer to me that way, because that's more assertive. So this seems like you have a reason for is a great one to kind of fall on in almost any situation. Um, because you just put that verb in there, looking, feeling, saying, whatever it is, and it'll work with that label. So is there anything in the chat that we need to address?
2: No, I think um we're just we're just chatting in the chat. So Okay. It's <laughs> <That's> great. It's <laughs> okay, where that great. chatting
1: is supposed to happen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So so we have labels, we've talked about labels, how you use them, but why? Okay. Why labels? Why are they one of the fabulous five for us? Um They play to our intuitive strength women are really good at picking up on the underlying dynamics of a conversation you're much better at discerning the why behind part of that is because women are good listeners so you can listen and you can get sometimes a double meaning from things and this is why women sometimes when you're in a conversation you know when it starts going off the rails sooner than other people in the room because you're able to see those dynamics and how things are going and you know i blame some of that for how women have been treated all through the years but um you see you see when the car starts going down the wrong road okay And oh that's that's a horrible thing to say because don't we always yell about men for never asking directions <laughs> and i just like use that it almost sounded like a pun but you just have an ability as a woman to observe and get the feeling for those dynamics that are underneath the situation that's happening so that's why the labels really do play to us because we can label that dynamic that someone else in the room might not be able to see this also allows you when you use a label to take that deep dive okay you can deep dive down into someone's someone's psyche some and, and it doesn't feel as intrusive so this allows some space in the conversation that keeps the other side at ease. And Davy, um, if you wanna speak to that
2: because. Yeah, um, because here's the thing, labels, anytime you have a question in your mind, you can turn it into a label. Um, and that's kind of what we recommend doing actually is uh, because a lot of people can feel threatened by questions and um they feel like oh you're interrogating me like have you ever gotten that right like oh are you, am i in an interrogation you're like no that's called a conversation um but mm. the thing is you can just do label, you can label instead and um that's a really great way of no one's going to be like oh I'm in an interrogation um just turn it into a label so let's say that you were thinking okay i i really want to know more about um where this is where this person is at with the deal right so you're thinking okay i want to ask them um like okay how long do you think it's going to take to talk to your team about this right you can say uh, it seems like there's kind of a process to talk to your team about this like it might take a couple of weeks and then they end up telling you everything that you wanted to know But but they're still at ease because you're not asking them a question
1: and this um, does speak to being able to get information from the other side without feeling like, one, you're interrogating them, two, it, it, you come across as threatening, or three, you come across with that, with that mom feeling. You know what I mean? That, like your mother, why did you do this? Where are you going? What's you know what I mean? So you don't want people to feel that from you. So you can get information by using a label instead of a question. Which is how we gather the information just like davey said and you don't come across as threatening in any way because let's face it powerful women do come off as threatening sometimes and it's not a good way to be because when you come off as threatening it really turns off the other side because one of the main things that helps our skills work is being likable coming off likable One of the ways you do that is by avoiding direct questioning and using labels to gather information so that you do come across less threatening.
3: This video is about labels, the ultimate negotiation tool. Sometimes we think of it as the ultimate MacGyver tool. What makes it a MacGyver tool? Well, a MacGyver tool is really simple and incredibly effective, ridiculously effective. To do your labels right, you got to keep them simple. Stick to the format. It seems like, it sounds like, it looks like. You seem, you sound, you look. We have a great negotiator that loves to say it feels like. Stick to that simple format. We're intentionally leaving the word I out. I is a thought interrupter, a pattern interrupter. When you use the word I, it draws attention to yourself. It interrupts the other side's thinking and you're using labels to gather information. We know from negotiation that you add this to gather information. A crazy thing is, asking questions is not always the best way to gather information. Labels work well more of the time than asking questions do. Labels trigger stream of consciousness reactions. You might say to somebody, what are you thinking about this? You might label them instead and say, seems like you're giving this a lot of thought or it seems like you're thinking about something here or it seems like you saw some things you like. Either one of those is going to trigger a much more unvarnished flow of thoughts from the other side. One of the people who's really learned this stuff and is doing a great job of applying this in a real estate area calls it unlocking the floodgates of truth talk. Happens to be a woman that's applying this and seeing the insights and not the least bit surprising because women have a tendency to pick this stuff up faster than men do. That doesn't mean men can't be great at it also, just that for whatever reason, women seem to get a head start on understanding this and applying it really quickly. This is emotional intelligence based negotiation. One of the crazy things about this is that when Brandon and I brought these hostage negotiation techniques out of hostage negotiation into the business world, we didn't think labels were that big of a deal. I can tell you now that we both use them so much that we can work our way entirely through a negotiation only using labels. When you get good at them, you respect their simplicity, and you apply them, you can use them all over the place. One of the main things that makes labels incredibly versatile is the fact that all three types like them a lot. We've done a lot of polling. We've got a lot of reason to believe that the world pretty much breaks up into three types, assertives, analysts, and accommodators, across the board, regardless of gender or ethnicity. we probably polled at least 2,000 people in this regard. We've got a fair amount of that. And in polling all these people, and in different classes we've talked, we frequently run exercises where we ask them, of the nine negotiation skills, which skills would you most prefer your counterpart use with you in order to make a great deal with you? All three types pick labels as number one or number two. So while you're still trying to get a feel for the other side and draw a beat on what type they are, labels will always be your highest percentage shot, At the very beginning when you're proceeding, and then if you find out that they resonate really well with labels, you just simply stick to them. It's your safest bet, and the way you go from being barely good enough to get by to being a superstar is just by increasing your odds a little bit at a time. Labels increase your odds. Get good at them. Practice them simply. Practice every day. Get your reps in, and they will serve you well how much practice should you get in an hour a day make an hour label hour label at noon label over lunch label from seven to eight every day whatever time it is get your practicing make a cheat sheet of labels keep it by your phone your cheat sheet should especially include labels of negative dynamics fill in a blank it seems like you hate x it seems like you dislike x it seems like x is a problem for you have those fill in the blank labels by your phone have them ready they will serve you well
4: going down to joe what do you do differently if you're if you're preparing for to negotiate with someone that's black swan trained first of all i'm giddy i'm excited i i'm never more anxious to negotiate with someone than if I know that they've been trained in black swan skills. And it's really for a couple of reasons. Number one, our skills are designed to create collaboration in places where it's really hard to find. It's designed to build trust, respect and rapport in an instant and create a collaborative environment right on the tail end of that. I'm gonna be excited to deal with anybody that approaches negotiation in that fashion, because we're gonna make a good deal. And then the second part is, if they are in fact black swan trained, and I'm as familiar with the skills as I am, and as a lot of you are on this call, it's gonna be really easy for me to tell if they're trying to manipulate or influence based on how they use the skills. If if they're actively using the skills to cultivate, I'm gonna be able to tell if they're actively using the skills to force issues down my throat or which i know a lot of us are guilty of create the how am i supposed to do that moment way before it's necessary right we haven't actually collaborated or gathered much intel between each other but i can feel you walking me up to how am i supposed to do that because you're trying to put me in a bad spot you wanna walk me into that question because you know how effective it is immediately, I'm gonna see it coming because I'm familiar with black swan skills. And if that's what your intention is, then there's gonna be some instant pullback from me. If anything, when I feel that, how am I supposed to do that coming, I'm gonna fight it. How am I supposed to do that? Sounds like you've thought a lot about this. It sounds like you probably got something in mind that works really well for you, right? If anything, if, if, if I find them to be manipulative in the usage of black swan skills, I'm going to use the black swan skills to punish them. And by punish, I, I don't mean take advantage or make them feel bad, but let them know they're gonna be out, they're gonna be out right? right? You, you walking me into the how am I supposed to do that moment before you've discovered what my black swans are, you're gonna feel that if I see your intentions to be manipulative. So that's that's just something to keep in mind. You know what they're doing if they're, if they're trained, right? So you got a huge advantage. If the counterpart's immovable, immovable, what do you do when your counterpart takes an immovable stance on one? Great question. First of all, summarizing, get it that's right. If they're immovable, they probably got five to 20 reasons as to why that is. Explain to them why they're removable to get a that's right. First of all, it's going to loosen them up a little bit because if you do create the oxytocin moment with that's right, they're going to they're gonna be much more likely. To, well, here's something I didn't offer to you earlier. Here's a thought that you might want. That's one piece. Another thing, as a last stitch effort, and this is something we haven't really focused on in teaching in a long time, but as a last stitch effort, right? And not all deals can or should be made. You can always say, it sounds like there's nothing I can do to change your mind. It sounds like it's an impossibility for you to want to look at this differently. Sounds like there's nothing I can say to affect your current mindset, right? Even if they're immovable, there's still an emotional moment that is created there and we need to explore it before we exit or move forward. And then the last part, accusations audits, using the skills to tie yourself to having caused the anger or high emotion Simply in the form of, it seems like I really upset you. You know, I think, and this is, and this has actually got me thinking about another thing in regards to we're all guilty of, to a certain extent, slapping someone in the face in a negotiation and then looking at them and going, it seems like you're upset, which is a really, really bad way to label. It's actually extremely insulting to be the direct cause of whatever the crux of their issue is, and then label it as if you're at arm's length. Right? You hit somebody in the knee with a bat and destroy all their ligaments and then go, seems like you're having trouble walking. We never wanna do that. And it can inflame the situation much worse, as I'm sure a lot of you could imagine. And so connecting it to like, it seems like I really hurt you. Seems like I said or did something that really threw you off killed her. Connect yourself to having calls. You can use an iMessage to do so, a label. The choice is
3: yours. Remember, you don't get in life what's fair, you get what you negotiate. If you want to become a better negotiator, click the link in the description below we
2: have a couple of questions come up do we want to go back to the label questions sure they have label questions sure okay so um one question is from um ivan i'm not sure i hope that's right um so she's asking can you use it when negotiating promotion so she said for example seems like you do not feel like i'm ready for the promotion or seems like you would prefer this person get a promotion and not me. So she's wondering what the best way to use that would be without being pushy.
5: Um, I think both of those labels are appropriate. Um, labels can be used in any situation just about. OK, as long as you're using a good label and you're not labeling something that's going to come across as you know, rude or purposely to make someone defensive, I think you're going to be fine. Every personality type, every negotiator personality type responds well to labels. Okay. All three of the types, accommodator, assertive, analyst. all of them like labels. So no matter who you're dealing with on the other side of the table, a label will be fine. Just monitor your tone of voice. Make sure you put it out there very, you know, matter of factly, especially with the what was the first label again?
2: Seems like seems like, let's see, seems like you do not feel like I'm ready for the promotion.
5: Right. So soften that up just a hair and say, seems like um, there may be a feeling that I'm not ready for this promotion. That way, you're not singling out that one person that you're talking to. And instead of saying it seems like you don't feel like I'm ready for this. It seems like there may be a feeling that I'm not ready for this. That way, you're you're not pointing specifically at that person.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would just, um, if I can add something real quick, Sandy. Um, for example, if you're, wanting, if you're wondering, like, why am I not being promoted, right? You can use a label to try to understand that, that as well, right? Like, um, seems like there's something impeding this promotion. Seems like there's something, right? Like, there's some kind of obstacle. So you can address that, and then you'll get to the bottom of maybe why you're not getting the promotion in the first place. One more question. Sorry. that Okay. Um, So um, there's one, what if you're clearly being disrespected? So like if someone's like staring at your chest, for example, instead of talking to you in your actual eyes, (laughs) face, um, she said, for an example, seems like you're being a pig. (laughs) Is that a
5: bit harsh? Yeah, that's a bit harsh. Um, You want to point it out, but you don't want to point it out by by actually calling them a name. So what might be better is is, it seems like something in our conversation is distracting you. And in other words, I know that you're distracted by this and you shouldn't be distracted by this. So I'm going to point out that I know you're distracted and maybe that'll bring your eyes up where they're supposed to be. So remember, you're not just actually labeling um, (laughs) how you feel about them you're labeling the dynamics of the situation. So if you have someone that's constantly looking at your chest, you can say it seems like you may be a little distracted, because that when you're looking right at them, and they look at you, and they, they know they've just looked up, they're gonna be like, Oh, you know, caught red handed. So, um, and you might even follow that up with another label saying, you know, it looks like we need to kind of regroup and get back on track and, you know, do it that way. But be careful being quite so blunt and honest. (laughs) Um, Look for more of the the situation that's happening there and kind of label that. They know what they're doing. Okay, that pig knows what he's doing. He knows he's looking at your chest. He's not stupid. He knows he's looking at your chest. So when you say, seems like you may be a little distracted, and you're looking right at him with a question mark, like, are you distracted? (laughs) And he's going to look up and realize that he just got snagged. Okay, so you want to point it out, but you don't want to and and this is the problem that some women face. When you speak up for yourself, you're automatically categorized as as an assertive bitch, and you shouldn't be. So using the labels in a more subtle way will break away from that. And keep in mind, using labels is cumulative. In other words, it's not a one and done skill. Sometimes you have to do it three or four times to get an idea across. But if you stay in the proper mindset, if you stay curious about why are they acting the way they're acting, and it may be because they're a pig, but you don't necessarily want to point the finger at that right away. Um, They're that way, because that's the way they feel like they can act somehow or another through their life, somewhere someone has given them the permission and told them that it's okay to do that you don't have to put up with that you can call them on that you can say seems like you're finding something else more fascinating and i mean look down like you know where they're looking and you don't have to point out and say stop looking at my breasts you know and be obvious about it but you can basically put out there you know it it seems like you're you're too busy focusing somewhere else looks like we need to refocus on what we're doing and just be a little more subtle about it do it with a smile on your face stay in that accommodator voice because and it's not threatening to them and you're not going seems like you're too busy looking at my brush you know because then they're going to get defensive And when they get defensive you're automatically a bitch in their eyes even when you've done absolutely nothing wrong so the way yeah, you, i mean go oh, ahead no go ahead
2: no yeah i mean to that point where it's like, okay, I you know hate the idea that like, we always have to be smiling or whatever, right? Ultimately, it's, it's just when you're at attacking someone, so if like you're essentially calling that person a name, it's just always going to be counterproductive. Does that person deserve it? Sure, that's not what we're talking about, right? Of course they do. But the problem is, it's like, if I want to have a working relationship with this person, if it's going to be more beneficial for me in the long run, which most of the time it is, then i need to understand how to actually make this productive and so calling out behavior rather than name calling is going to be the more productive route absolutely um and then um dion had a question which is how is it bad to come across as bitchy
5: bitchy
2: i'm not going to say
5: that it's never okay to be bitchy because i i mean you know I'm bitchy a lot. I'm just going to be honest with you. It it just has to be done in an appropriate place in an appropriate way. And when you're in a business negotiation situation or dealing with something at work, you can regulate yourself, you can control yourself and how you act and what you say you cannot control the other side and what they do. However, You can have an influence on them by the way you use your tone of voice, by the way you hold yourself and by the way you project yourself. So if you are dealing with someone on the other side of the table who is assertive, if you go at them assertive, which pretty much is bitchy clash and you're not gonna be able to work it out. Okay. The best way is to go to tactical empathy first you know, figure out why they're acting like they are and most of the time it's just because they're being a jerk. Um, So you have that and you understand that. So when you understand that, it's gonna help you center yourself a little bit more, not react to that piggish behavior and instead label that behavior and try to divert it a little bit.
6: Mm -hmm. Would there be a better way to possibly get the same information but not asking no-oriented questions? Like maybe labels, mislabeling? All right, so what was the question again? So you're ask. I'm ask if I were to ask, is it true? Yada yada yada. Would it, there be a better way rather than just no orienting it? Would it there? Would you use a better tool, for instance?
3: You know, like, potentially, it, potentially a label. Although, you know, there are times. And and and, I'm going to ask you to make it into a label for me. So make it into a label.
6: It sounds like you. You've written the book, Never Split the Difference.
3: Right, or well, it, it seems is, like, yeah. Sounds yeah. like, seems like, looks like, feels like, yeah. And you know, and so that is actually a great exercise. If you've got the yes question, you write it down. You want to substitute something else in, substitute a couple of other skills. A no-oriented question, a label. That's that much more warm-up for your brain to get ready give you that much more preparation because at some point in time when you communicate with people, you're going to find that one of those is going to hit them exactly right. Depending upon their personality, the, the, the moment, you know, how much sleep they got, what they had to eat, their circadian rhythm, there's all these different things. One of those skills is going to hit their brain exactly right. And it's going to really unlock a truthful response. The floodgates of truth talk is one of our tenants or clients once said so. Mm-hmm. I like your thinking, man. You're, you're you're showing some agility in your thought. Very good. Very impressed.
6: I tried to come up with as many questions as I could last night, and right, this is the only one I really could that was really strong. But
3: all right, good. Yeah. Anyway. All right, good. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move on. Thank you for joining. You I appreciate it. Uh, uh, we have a lovely parting gift for you. You should subscribe to the Edge. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Thank man. You, nice talking to you. It was a, a
2: lot of fun. So the accusation thought it is amazing because it gives you the freedom to do whatever it is that you needed to do or to ask or address whatever it is that you came in needing to ask or address. And so if you're concerned that, um, that this person already thinks that you're too assertive, right, already kind of has that preconceived notion about you. Um, then you can just simply say, you're going to think that what I'm about to ask you is is really assertive. You might say, "Um, you're going to feel really overwhelmed by what I'm about to ask you. Um, You might say, if if you're concerned that they're being, that you think that you're too emotional, that they think that you're too emotional, um, you might say, you're probably going to think that I'm bringing emotion into this. Um, and so it helps if that person, you can tell that person already thinks that about you by addressing that dynamic, you're able to diffuse it. Um, there was a question in the chat that asked, well, what if, you know, what if this, that person didn't already think that, is this going to make it worse? Um, Sandy, yeah, I, I kind of want to hand that to you because I know you have a lot to say. <laughs> um,
5: you can't plant a negative, okay? If they don't feel that way, they don't feel that way. You're not going to suddenly put that thought in their head, okay? Um, and even if you do, you're mitigating at the same time. So it's, it's not going to make it happen if it's not already there. So even if they're not thinking that whatever you're saying is going to be too expensive, and you're saying, well, you're going to think this is so expensive. And they're like, well, I mean, they might be thinking money's no object. All they're going to do is just say, well, no, not really. And just go on with the next thing. You're not going to plant that negative. Okay, how you plant a negative is by saying, I don't want you to think I'm being picky. But I really don't like that shade of blue. Okay, you just you you threw it out there. And what's the first thing they're going to think when they hear I don't want you to think I'm being picky they're going to think, oh, you're being picky. You know, I don't want you to be mad at me for doing this. So they know that whatever you're saying right now is going to make them mad. Okay, that's the wrong way to do it. So you, you, you don't want to do that's that's basically um, that's the denial, you want to avoid the denial, you want to just point out the negative, you don't want to try and justify it or explain it. So just say, yeah, you, you may think I'm being picky. I don't like that shade of blue instead of saying, I don't want you to think I'm being picky because that's telling them that they're gonna be that way. Okay, you're not, you that's not mitigating anything, that's actually raising it. So you wanna be very careful that you word this correctly, but you cannot introduce the negative. If it's not already there, you're not gonna make it be there because you're saying it. So don't be afraid of that, okay? Um,
2: Absolutely. Do you
5: have more to say about that preconceived notions?
2: Um, no, just that, um Yeah, that essentially a lot of times we come into these situations kind of fearing like, well, that person already thinks this about me. How can I possibly talk to them about it? Or this person already believes that this isn't going to work. There's no convincing them. Um, It is shocking the power of what an accusations audit can do. It demonstrates demonstrates, self-awareness. It demonstrates concern and care for the other side. Because essentially, when you are giving the accusations audit properly the way Sandy was talking about, um, then what you're saying, in essence, is I understand your experience right now. And I understand that I'm making this hard for you in some way. Um, and so even if, you know, you're not really because you're probably not being too emotional <laughs> or you're probably not being too assertive, um that doesn't really matter because it's that person's experience and so then we're able to subvert those preconceived notions move on and continue to make a deal
7: Really want to stay curious if you're staying curious and asking why are they saying these things why are they behaving this way it's going to take away the emotional side of it for, for you mostly where you're you're searching for answers for them what what make them say that what, what is making them behave that way and for yourself, you want to get with a trusted colleague and vent before you go into the room or before you, before you actually go on the call or sit down with, across from that individual. You want to vent about all the things that you think are going to happen or going to come up in that room that's going to be an issue. But you want to find somebody that's going to be positive when they talk to you because if you go in there and they've already fed you full of negative stuff, you're going to have a negative mindset going in you want to have a positive mindset and one of the things that Brandon said that is so important when he was talking about the person getting angry or getting upset they can only do it for 45 seconds to a minute if you can hold on for that ride you're going to be okay they wear themselves out they don't realize how much stress and how fatiguing it becomes for them so when they do that the longer you can sustain your your calm, you're going to wear them down, and they're finally going to just throw their hands up and like. Shh. But if you get angry and they get angry, they talk about the amygdala. You're going to have two dumb people in the room, and you can't and it don't work when you have
5: that.
2: Right. Do you have any suggestions?
5: He'll have a lawyer in that situation as well as himself, and so I'm trying to figure out how to control both personalities because one's an accommodator and one's an analyst i think and i I'm the lawyer is more unknown to me so i'm trying to figure out how to control those personal. when there's two personalities coming at me at the same time how to control that scenario labels and mirrors okay
7: you just seems like both of y'all want to talk at the same time it sounds like one has an agenda, the other one has an agenda. Thank you, that was excellent.
0: I didn't feel comfortable using the calibrated questions and saying how am I supposed to do that? So I changed it a little in a way I felt more comfortable and I would say like that's going to be really difficult and we're going to have to try to think of a creative solution and then that kind of trying to imply, how am I supposed to do that? Um, and, I mean, they talk
8: after it and, and give suggestions, so I I think it's working. It is working, and and here's here's the difference between what you did and how am I supposed to do that. First of all, how am I supposed to do that is a phase of no. That is an assertive move, so you want to hold on to that for later in the conversation or the relationship when it's more appropriate. But the way you set it up means that you are, you're priming them for it. You're lowering the expectation so that if it does become a, how am I supposed to do that? It's not going to be a shock to the system because you've already set them up. So I, I love the way you're playing around with it. Now you're starting to make this stuff your own which is the ultimate goal is to take these skills and make them a part of your repertoire. You say and do things differently than the way that I say and do things. Troy says them in a way that uh, it's different for me as well. Everybody's got their own spin on the black swan method.
0: Yeah, I've seen the ability to take someone off their guard and to have them really disarmed and having an open discussion. And then the slightest, little thing can throw that back up. And it's not necessarily something where I say something really difficult to you. Just a slight trigger can bring it back up. And I've been listening to other meetings we have with other people at my office that host those meetings and they have someone completely disarmed. And then they say something like, Hey, I've been in the business a long time too," implying you're not the only one that knows this shit. And then when that happens, like, you had them for like an hour they were just stringing along saying yeah I could see that I understand that and then you threw that in you just worked backwards so I'm trying to use the ways to keep them disarmed as long as possible and then when I have to get serious you drop the tone and say that is something that will have to remain and then they know like that it's they're not gonna get movement on there because I've only said that with that voice twice out of fifty other times, you know? Yeah. Um but I've seen people arm up so quick. So I'm trying to be aware of you can get everything right ninety percent of the time and that ten percent can completely
8: burn you for all that work you put in. Yeah, if 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 yeah, if you're not if you're not careful, that can happen. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to drop the bomb on somebody at some point. You're going to have to draw your line in the sand. And so, when you're switching into that late night FM DJ voice to convey your assertiveness, remember that that assertiveness is the precursor to that should be something from the tactical empathy side of the ledger as well as the accusations audit side of the the ledger. Some, you know, I'm sorry, I ran it up the flagpole, nobody saluted. We just can't do that. I'm sorry, I ran it up the flagpole, nobody saluted. This is gonna catch you off guard. This is gonna be disappointing to hear.
6: It's gonna feel like I punched you in the stomach. We just can't do that. Vaughn, what do you got? A similar kind of a, how am I supposed to do that question? We've been negotiating with the customer for about three or four months. It's a customer we really do not want to work with, but at the price we would be willing to do so. Uh, so we've been going back and forth and back and forth with them, uh, raised our price, our prices quite a bit. And then they started uh, to do something very interesting, So picking apart our proposal uh, kind of a la carte uh and that was going over about a two-week span uh until i went in and i just said you know how am i supposed to do that how am i supposed to let you pick apart my proposals like that and they went completely dark for two days and then friday they said you know what we're going to go ahead and sign the proposal so I-, I don't know what the two days was i don't know why it did that i don't i don't know what prompted that but it really made them make a decision because we all i, all I said was my email was just how am I supposed to do that and I just let them stew for two days and they came back with a signed proposal that's one of the purposes behind why or how am I supposed to do that or the other phases
8: of no is for them to go back and start to bargain with themselves so that you don't have to Yeah, it's a thought shaping question you're shaping their thought you're engaging the the the, uh, problem solving or the critical thinking portion of their brain And so that's perfect. Let them go back and stew for two days. You haven't told them no, and you haven't offered any other solutions. You have in essence told them, you go back and figure it out, which is what they did. Nicely done.
3: And negatives have three to nine times the impact on decision-making. Why you won't make a deal with me is nine times more important than why you will. Isn't that the opposite of all of your coaching in business? What are you supposed to do when you interact with someone in business? You're supposed to give them what? You're supposed to give them their value proposition, right? Isn't your value proposition proposing positives? It's got a, thir- a third the effectiveness is diffusing the negatives. Labeling negatives does what? Okay. Lab- you s- all right, So that's what we all feel. He said labeling negatives reinforces the negatives. It's the opposite. Labeling negatives diffuses negatives. Every time, every time, every time, every time, every time. Now, you're gonna, you are going gonna—you don't like that for two reasons. First of all, you're thinking, well, if it reinforces positives, why does not it reinforce negatives? That's just logical. Secondly, you're gonna say, oh, no, 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 it does not. Because every time I've tried to call out a negative, it's blown up in my face. And I had a PR guy once say, never introduce a negative, never introduce a negative. I don't know how many of you remember Richard Nixon when he resigned. But before he resigning, he stood up in front of the American public, said, I am not a crook. Did he did, did Nixon label the negative by saying, I'm not a crook? What did he do? He denied it. That's a two-millimeter shift. Michael Vick is on uh, on a sports show a couple of years ago. He's talking about another quarterback. And he starts out by saying, like, look, I don't want to make it sound like I'm disrespectful. And then he made his observation as soon as he got off the phone. The uh, announcer said, you know what, as soon as somebody says, I don't want to sound disrespectful, the next thing they're going to be is disrespectful. Imagine if instead Vic would have said, I'm sure it's going to sound disrespectful. Here's my opinion. They'd have got off the phone and said, you know what? Vic guy's a straight shooter. So the two millimeter shift and why we're so worried about negatives is because we've been used to denying them. You cannot plan a negative with a label. What if I say to you, seems like you don't like me. And at that point in time, you got no—you don't have that feeling at all. What's your reaction? I like you. You feel, oh yeah, I I like you fine. You don't go, oh, now that you mention it, I do dislike you. This is our single most powerful skill. This is how we—this is how we get out of this stuff so fast, so much faster than anybody else. This is how Derek is coaching people, diffusing negatives, and getting people to resolve deals in seven days, seven to ten days max, that have been struggling with deals for months. I called him on the other phone, on the phone the other day, and I said, anybody you're consulting in a specific deal, have you coached anybody in any interaction that's lasted longer than 10 days? He was like, yeah, I don't think so. Anybody more than seven days? Mm. A couple might've gone over seven. 18 months of negotiations resolved in seven days with this approach, it's insane. This is, a su- this is the insane superpower. This is why people are killing it.
1: So when you're labeling, one of the things that we like to talk about is how you label in response to some kind of inappropriate or patronizing behavior. So the first type or the first thing you're gonna do, if it's, if it's appropriate is redirect the conversation. So this is when the behavior that's coming at you is kind of putting things off track, but it's not offensive. And it's not affecting the long-term relationship. So, you know, sometimes you can kind of let it slide. Sometimes you shouldn't. It's what you want to do here is in a normal label, you're going to ignore the comment and put the conversation kind of back on track. So you're going to say something like, seems like you want to get the best deal here and refocus them. Seems like your team is important to you. Refocus back to what you're talking about. Okay, this is just when it feels like the focus of the conversation is actually in the wrong place. So you want to make sure you gear it back in the right direction, but you don't want to come out and say something um, off-putting to the other side because that's not going to help you at all. So you just refocus a little bit by using that label. Um, The next one is going to be a thought pattern interrupt. This is when um, the behavior needs to stop. So whatever is happening, it feels like the focus of the negotiation or conversation is turning to you rather than the actual negotiation. So it's disruptive um, to whatever's happening. And it can be affecting the whole deal. So when you're getting this far, and when it is um, behavior that needs to stop, it is going to damage the future relationship if you don't take care of it. So what you want to say then is, you know, it, it seems like you're not interested in whatever, bringing them back on focus a little bit. Um, This makes them consider hopefully that the behavior that they're doing may be negatively affecting things that are going on. And you want to make sure you point that out. So behavior needs to stop. So the last one that we talk about and David, please interrupt me if somebody puts something in the chat that we want to talk about. And if you want to add anything, please just pipe up there. Anybody? Um, The last one is what we call a confronting label. This is very assertive. So you want to be careful when you use it, but this is when the behavior needs to stop and be addressed. So remember, redirecting, you're just labeling before it gets off track. When you're creating the thought pattern interrupt, the behavior needs to stop. So you're you're gearing them another way to stop whatever the behaviors that they've now suddenly gotten into. The confronting label is when maybe those other two labels haven't worked, or maybe it's just gone off course really quickly. So you want to use that confronting label and label what's happening and address it at the same time. So this comes about a lot of times when people take the liberty to call you cute little names like honey and sweetie. And the way you can deal with that, because this is very assertive, remember, seems like you think it's okay to address me that way. So this is when that behavior makes you feel like you need to put walls up against the other side. And I'm sure everyone on this call at one point or another has been in some kind of conversation where all of a sudden you feel like, whoa, this is, this is not going where I want it to go. This needs to stop. This is when this label is gonna come in handy. When you address that actual behavior, calling you honey or calling you sweetie and force them to face up to it. And Davey, I want you to talk a little bit about this because you have some interesting stories about dealing with behavior like this
3: i'm going to proceed on the idea that everybody's at least understands how to construct a label or a mirror labels it seems it sounds it looks you see me sound you look a mirror is a repetition of the last one to three words ish or sp- specific selection once you get good at the last one or three words you start picking one or three words out of different portions of the conversation in the mirror. So everybody's going to pick two things they're passionate about. Everybody's going to pick two things they're passionate about. It doesn't matter what those things are. They could be food. They could be dogs. They could be bunny rabbits. I know you're passionate about bunny rabbits. Doesn't matter what those two things are. You will pair up with someone next to you. One of you will be the talker, the other person will be the negotiator. The negotiators ask two what questions. What are you passionate about? I'm passionate about puppies. What about puppies makes you passionate? That's your second what question. Every response from the negotiator from that point on is a label or a mirror only. It's not, oh, I had puppies growing up. I set it on fire. You know, whatever you did when you were a kid. No sharing of common experiences because that's not a label or a mirror. And then when we pair you up and you start out, one of you is a negotiator and the other is a talker, stay in role until we ask you to switch out. If someone is not particularly comfortable with the skills yet and they say, OK, I did this long enough, now let's talk about your passion. Now, we don't want you to doing that. We have a very specific sequence going here. These are our reps. How many reps to get a skill? 63. These are our reps. This is the low stakes practice. This is the no stakes practice. Small stakes practice for high stakes results. Here's what it'll look like. Brandon's gonna be the negotiator and Derek is gonna be the talker. So at the beginning, you're gonna
9: be able to ask two questions to get you started and from there forward is going to be only labels and mirrors. So after you label four, after I have done four or five labels with Derek, then we will start pointing to people in the room to continue the conversation with Derek. So once you get pointed at, you got to come up with a label or mirror. A great way to get picked is to look away. All right, so uh, two questions at the very beginning. First question, what's your passion? Uh, Coaching basketball. Coaching basketball. And then second question, what about coaching basketball makes you passionate?
8: Uh, It it provides me an opportunity with providing a positive male role model in the lives of guys that don't have it. Guys that
9: don't have it.
8: Yeah, I, I, uh, the, coach, the uh, community that I coached in a couple of years ago was a, um, a, an immigrant community, um, single parent homes, mostly led by women. Uh, a lot of times the guys that were on my team were the, were the oldest male in the house, so a lot of responsibility had been thrust upon them. And as a result, some of them, uh, straight off the straight and narrow, unless they were provided an opportunity to participate in organized sports, that's where I came in.
9: It sounds like in a lot of ways, these kids are kind of missing out on life.
8: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I was in i was in their spot, so to speak, when I was coming up. I didn't, I grew up in a house that didn't have a father. Um, in fact, he could walk through those doors right now and I wouldn't know it was him. That's how early in my life that he left. So I was raised by, a a a mother who had a heart of gold, and she worked very hard, but she didn't, she couldn't provide me with that male influence that I needed. And but by the grace of God, I could have gone elsewhere. Sounds like you learned how to be pretty self sufficient at an early age. I had to. You had to grow up fast. And uh, the things that were out there that snatched me off the streets, figuratively speaking, have been multiplied tenfold now uh, with these guys. So I know that they're either going to wind up dead, they're going to wind up incarcerated, or they're going to wind up like the next Shirley. Sounds like you really
9: feel for the fact that what they're missing out on really isn't any fault of their own.
8: It's not. And so for the two hours that I get them every day between the months of November and March, it provides me with an opportunity to um, provide them with some life skills that will make them better men. Because I think as as a male adult, It's incumbent upon me to do that. Label or mirror. Label or mirror. I want you to say it looks like, it seems like, it sounds like, and then give me what it looks like, seems like, sounds like. Intuitively, you know what to say. Now I wanna make you say it. It looks like this is really important to me. Yeah, it is important to me. Let's face it. These guys are gonna get their life lessons from somewhere. And if they're not getting it from me, they're gonna get it from somebody in the streets. And then the people in the streets are usually gonna, Send them in the wrong direction, Direction. label or mirror. Mirror, wrong direction? Into the mic. Wrong direction? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier they could wind up incarcerated or they could wind up like Shirley. And as an adult, again, my job is to make sure that nobody else becomes a Shirley, label or mirror.
2: It sounds like Shirley's important to you. I, I, I wasn't following that part. I had a legitimate question.
9: What, what do you mean when you say Shirley?
8: I didn't ask you to ask a question. <laughs> I want you to label or mirror. Any question that you can ask can sound like a Shirley? mirror. Great. Yeah, Shirley was a um, young lady I met. She was seven years old at the time that I met her. And um, Shirley was a crack baby, which means when her mother was pregnant, she was continuing to ingest cocaine. Shirley was born addicted to cocaine. And she had this the requisite. Uh, behavioral and cognitive issues that a baby addicted to cocaine would so she was way behind in her development they put her into foster care because the mother was not the mother was not obviously competent to raise the child so Shirley was put in to foster care and that's when I met her label a mirror You met her
3: where?
8: Not a question. Label or mirror. Any question that you can ask can be turned into a label. So it looks like, it seems like, it sounds like.
3: It sounds like you had a great opportunity to, to to run into this little girl at one time, and it meant a lot to you.
8: Subsequently, yeah, it, it was a great opportunity. At the time I didn't see it as such. Because when I met her, her foster mother's boyfriend had taken the bottom end of a cane and shoved it in her mouth and broke her teeth out because she spilled toothpaste on the floor. And so when I think about my responsibility to the youth of today, it starts with how I saw Shirley the night that she was on the gurney in the hospital and I'm taking photographs of her injury. And this little girl that has had everything done to her is laying on the gurney, showing me some cigarette burns on her forearm, and she still had enough sunshine in her to to smile. And I said, and I still have her picture on my desk with that smile. And I said, if this kid can go through all of that, she needs a fighter. And so my job is to fight for all the Shirley's of the world, label or mirror.
2: It sounds like you believe this program can really make a difference in children's lives.
8: Well, it's, it's a leap, but my basketball program, by extension, will lessen the opportunity for kids to fall through the cracks either into jail or to have their lives impacted in other negative ways now i'm going to stop there you guys see how much information you can gather by just using labels and mirrors if you will imagine the X that I stood on the floor represents, I like coaching basketball, right? How far off of that X did you move me? When I first said, I like coaching basketball, figuratively or literally, some of you rolled your eyes and said, oh, another, another jockhead, another guy who's going to start talking about the virtues of Steph Curry, right? But what did you learn? About me, you grew up without a father. T- Travis said I grew up without a father. What else did you learn specifically? What did you learn? That you uh, help youth. That I help youth. Good. What else did you learn?
0: I have a very big heart.
8: I have a very big heart. Do I sound like somebody you want to do business with?
0: Absolutely.
3: A lot of behavioral things. How you respond to things. What do you mean? Uh, given a difficult situation, you took it and turned it into a positive.
8: Good, good. What else did you learn? I want to be a
3: road model, like you want to give back.
8: Want to give back. What else did you learn? I you respect your mother. I respect my mother. What else? What inspired, you. What inspired me, uh, Monica said. So the point is, you moved me off the X. You know a lot about me, character-wise, behavior-wise. How much information did you give me? How much do I know about you? Nothing just using labels and mirrors. That's how strong they work. That's how powerful they are. So that's what you guys are going to replicate in your one-to-ones. Subscribe to
3: the Black Swan Group's negotiation newsletter, which is free. Doesn't cost you anything. I had a colleague at the FBI that used to like to say, if it's free, I'll take three. Here's how you subscribe to The Edge if you're in the United States. Send a text to the number is 33777. That's 33777. The text message that you send is Black Swan Method, Black Swan Method 233777. Comes to your email inbox on Tuesday mornings when you're ready to rock and roll and get after the week.